You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. If you listen to several podcasts, I bet you've heard about surveys and you're going to hear about one again. It would be a huge benefit to the podcast if you could head on over to surveymonkey.com slash r slash airwave, or just click the link that I'm going to remember to put in the show notes this week, and there you will find a set of questions about who you are, how you listen, what you like about the podcast, which is hopefully most things. It shouldn't take you longer than about 10 minutes. This is important for the show as a way to attract advertisers. It might also help me make choices about the podcast structure and content in the future. So if you took your time to fill out the survey, link in the show notes, remember, you would have my great personal thanks. Hello, everyone, and welcome to History of the Second World War, member episode preview, The French Yellow Book. This is the first of what will be seven member episodes that will be released here on the main podcast feed for your listening pleasure. It is also the first in a series of episodes that focus on the diplomatic communications between the various governments of Europe before the start of the Second World War. This episode is brought to you by all of the amazing people who have supported the podcast by becoming members. They are the reason this episode exists, and I hope you enjoy it, even though it's a bit different than most other episodes of the podcast. As a reminder, this is a seven-week break of new mainline podcast episodes, as I take a, a bit of a break and prepare for season three and fill the gap here with member episodes that have been previously released to members. You can find out more uh, about sort of the next couple of weeks and, and really the rest of 2023 on the podcast by clicking on the other link that's in the show notes, uh, just kind of a, a podcast preview for the rest of the year. Thank you, and I hope you enjoy this one. Hello, everyone, and welcome to History of the Second World War, members episode 23, The French Yellow Book. The Yellow Book is a collection of French diplomatic communications from various cities around Europe in the years before the Second World War. It highlights some of the communications that were happening from the French government's representatives in Berlin, Warsaw, Danzig, and other capitals around Europe. It is available for, for free from a variety of websites online, and I thought it would be interesting to pull out some of those communications highlighted in the book and to discuss them and how they fit within French actions from the beginning of 1939 until the start of the war. As a reminder on the overall situation around Europe in early 1939, Germany, Italy, France, and Britain had signed the Munich Agreement at the end of September 1938, 
and the government of Czechoslovakia had been basically forced to agree to its terms. German troops had occupied large areas of western Czechoslovakia as outlined in the agreement and had started to incorporate those areas into Germany just as they had done to Austria earlier in 1938. There was then a period of detente between Germany and the other nations after Munich, but this would disappear quite quickly in 1939. Which brings us to our first communication, which is from the French Charge d'Affaires in Berlin on January 5, 1939. Quote, Since the events of last year, his faith in his own genius, in his instinct, or as one might say, in his star, is boundless. Those who surround him are the first to admit that he now thinks himself infallible and invincible. That explains why he can no longer bear either criticism or contradiction. To contradict him is, in his eyes, a crime. Opposition to his plans, from whatever side it may come, is a definite sacrilege, to which the only reply is an immediate and striking display of of his omnipotence. Thus, at the beginning of the year 1939, the atmosphere in the Third Reich can best be described as tense. Tensions in all fields, political, economic, confessional, and psychological. As happens with an overheated engine, the machinery of the Third Reich is strained to breaking point, but the driver of, of Berchtesgaden does not appear to intend to moderate the pressure. End quote. This is clearly in reference to Hitler, and I pulled this piece or this quote specifically because the idea that Hitler had by 1939 bought into his own hype and believed he was incapable of making mistakes is an idea that always plays very heavily in any history of the last years before the war. You've heard it on this podcast, and you will read it in any book that discusses the start of the war. It's interesting to see it laid out so clearly here in January 1939, when the overall situation in Europe was actually better than it had been in almost a year because of the Munich Agreement, but before the final invasion of Czechoslovakia, which would take place in March. I guess, in a lot of ways, it's it's a very good understanding of the situation within the German government and within Hitler's own mind here uh, from the French representative. In March, German actions would shatter whatever idea existed about possible peace in Europe during the first two months of the year because they launched an invasion of Czechoslovakia, or what was left of it. There had been a push during the Munich negotiations to include an official guarantee from all parties of the new borders, but this did not make it into the final document. There were continued discussions in Paris and London about providing that guarantee, discussions that would continue until early March, when this message would be sent from the French ambassador in Berlin. Quote, The note from the German Foreign Office goes further still. It unequivocally declares that an intervention of the Western powers in Central Europe in the shape of a guarantee in favor of the Czechoslovak state would do more harm than good. It would contribute to aggravate the differences of Czechoslovakia with her neighbors, other than the Reich, and perhaps even lead them to denigrate into a conflict. Doubtless, the note seems in places to deal with a premature guarantee, but for those who understand, it is the whole conception of a guarantee of the new Czechoslovakia by the Western powers which it rejects. Quote, The German government, it points out, cannot in any way see an extension of this guarantee obligation to the Western powers, a factor that might allay internal quarrels in the said area, but rather an element liable to increase unreasonable tendencies, as has already been the case. All that part of Europe, henceforward, is a preserve of the Reich. The German government, the note adds, is perfectly aware that, all things considered, the general evolution of that part of Europe falls primarily into the sphere of the Reich's most vital interests, 
and that not only from the historical point of view, but also from the geographical and, above all, the economic angle. End quote. After this message was sent, it would take less than two weeks for evidence to surface that made it clear that Germany was about to invade what was left of Czechoslovakia, just after they warned the French and the British not to give any guarantees of Czechoslovakia. Here is the French ambassador in Berlin. Quote, Everything suggests that Germany will very soon resort to force against Czechoslovakia. Although no active, actual measures of mobilization, even partial, have yet been noticed, movements of troop units belonging to the standing army are taking place, with the object either of gripping the corridor or Moravia in a vice, or of surrounding the entire Bohemian quadrilateral. It appears from more recent information that, on the one hand, staff officers are to leave Berlin tomorrow morning, March 14th, in order to take part in the operation, and also that the black militia would be entrusted with vanguard duties. End quote. These movements of German troops and the growing evidence that they planned to force the matter with force would set the stage for the next several days of communication between the capitals of Europe. However, it's important to note that the French ambassador did not have any specific information about German plans and was only making inferences based on other known information. This was also not the first time that the threat of an invasion of Czechoslovakia had been the topic of diplomatic conversations, which had happened back in May 1938. You can hear about that back in Members Episode 17. More evidence of the invasion would be gathered over the next two days, though, as these two messages, one from March 13th and the second from March 14th, again from the ambassador in Berlin, would discuss. Quote, according to the declarations obtained by one of our correspondents this evening from a German who occupies an important post in one of the ministries, the fate of Bohemia and Moravia is now settled. What Germany wants is the annexation of these provinces, pure and simple. It is not for the sake of Mr. Tizo, said the person in question, that our divisions are marching and that we are mobilizing several major aircraft units. You should understand that we intend to settle the question finally. Today an ultimatum will be sent to the Prague government. The answer we receive is immaterial. It will be overtaken by events by the time it reaches us. End quote. Now, the, the reference to Miss, Mr. Tiso in that is the Slovakian leader, who would be used as kind of the excuse by the Germans to finally launch the operation. They would say that they were asked by Mr. Tiso, the Slovakian, to come in to help Slovakia break away from the Czechs. And then here's a note from March 14th, which is just a day before the German invasion. Quote, it is striking to note once again the rapidity and precision with which Hitler's political plans have been accomplished. For it is beyond any question of doubt that the present crisis is in accordance with the carefully preconceived plan of which Berlin holds the principal strings. Prague appears to have tried to forestall this measure, but too late perhaps. Also, the policy of the central government was not always perfectly clear or wise. If the Czech leaders have expressed ample signs of goodwill towards Berlin, it seems that they have believed that at the same time, they could continue inside their country a policy which was purely Czech. In doing so, they have revived old internal jealousies and needlessly aroused the suspicions of the Reich. Quote. The interesting piece of this second communication, in my mind, is the kind of victim-blaming that comes into play when discussing the actions that were taken by the government in Prague to German actions. The idea that in trying to retain control of their territory, they had in some way made the situation worse because it gave groups like the Slovaks additional excuses for their actions is an interesting take on the matter, and probably in no way actually confirm, conforms with reality. 
it was probably going to happen no matter what Prague did, no matter what the Czech government did or the path that it pursued, Germany was going to continue to inflame the situation inside the country. As details of the discussions between the Czech president and Hitler on March 14th and 15th emerged, the overall situation began to become more clear. Here is a communication from Berlin from March 15th, the day of the invasion. Quote, One cannot say that any negotiations have taken place between the Czech and German ministers. The Führer made it known from the beginning that his decision had been taken and that anyone who opposed it would be crushed. The Czech ministers have been informed that the gold reserves of the Czech bank must be put at the disposal of the Reich. The same applies to the whole of the gold and foreign currency owed by individual Czech citizens. Then a few days later, after the invasion had been completed, the role of other groups within Czechoslovakia and how they had influenced events had become more clear, as this message from March 18th would outline. Quote, according to information that I have gathered from the best sources, the development of the Czechoslovak drama seems to have been as follows. The Nazi leaders, displeased by the resistance offered by Czechoslovakia to her new position of tutelage last December, worked out a scheme which, as the Germans put it, would effectively prevent this state from ever again becoming a menace to the Reich. It was in these circumstances that the leaders of Austria were personally ordered about three weeks ago to fan the agitation in Slovakia in favor of its independence. The Vienna wireless station took part in this. The Czech government, frightened by the spread with which, the speed with which the movement was growing, dismissed Mr. Tiso, who was considered to be too conciliatory. Herr Hitler was waiting for this mistake. It was only then that it is to say about March 9th that he seems to have taken the decision which led to the disappearance of Czechoslovakia. End quote. This was all good information to have, but at the end of the day, it did not really matter because it was only apparent after the fact. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential, and then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own? With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you can make sure your ride stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, exhaust kits, turbochargers, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. With Czechoslovakia no longer in existence, Poland very clearly became the next nation in the crosshairs. One of the ways that the German government would go about moving towards focusing on Poland was by influencing the content put out by the German press. By 1939, the German newspapers were essentially just a government mouthpiece, and whatever the government in Berlin wanted to be printed would be printed. 
that makes an analysis of what various newspapers were focusing on an important topic of study, and worthy of communications from the French ambassadors in Berlin and Warsaw back to Paris. Here is the French ambassador in Warsaw from April 7th. Quote, I point out as very typical the abrupt change in the tone of the German agencies and the press with regard to Poland. After Mr. Chamberlain's first declaration that at the beginning of Colonel Beck's stay in London, the inspired German newspapers displayed a cautious and moderate attitude towards Poland, as if they feared to alarm her and to drive her over to the Western powers. Since yesterday evening, and particularly in the Deutscher Dienst and the Volkster Breyerbacher, these tactics have given way to intimidation and threat. Poland finds herself accused of becoming the satellite of England in a policy of aggression against Germany. She has been warned that she runs the risk of becoming, like other small nations, the first victim of British intrigues, end quote. This topic would be discussed several times, sort of, you know, what was happening in the German papers throughout April, and really all the way to the beginning of the invasion. Here is a message from April 17th with more detail. Quote, the newspaper correspondents of the Reich in Poland have orders to report anything that can be presented to German public opinion as an incident, as a mistreatment of the minority, and also to be as unpleasant as possible to Poland in their reports. And then on June 14th, this time from the French consul in Danzig, quote, the anti-Polish campaign of unheard of violence and vulgarity is being carried on by the two daily papers who charged the Polish customs officers with the most unlikely offenses. Business circles, however, seem to think that, as a result of Polish concessions, tensions will diminish in the course of the next few weeks. End quote. Of course, they would, they would not decrease. Tensions would continue to rise in Danzig all the way to the invasion. And then here's a report from Berlin on August 12th. Quote, in view of the tone of the press, of the continual calling up of reserves, of the intense military activity, which is all the time increasing, and of new food restrictions, there are queues outside the butcher shops this morning, the nervousness of the public has grown suddenly sharper. Now, as the date for the invasion grew closer in August, the information found in the press painted Poland with a greater and greater villainy. Here is a really interesting message from the French ambassador in Berlin from August 17th which not just outlines some developments in the press, but also ties it back to German actions before Munich. Quote, For some days past, the German press has entered upon a new chapter of its anti-Polish campaign. It claims that a sort of pogrom has been started by organized groups and certain local authorities against Germans in Poland. This morning, there was a sensational headline announcing that on the other side of the frontier, a positive manhunt was in progress against the Volksdeutschen, that mass arrests were being made among them, that Polish officials were distributing arms to shady elements of the population, and that an intolerable menace, man, intolerable terror menaced the entire German minority. Lastly, refugees were said to be already flocking into German territory, and thus we meet again the tactics and methods by which Nazi propaganda, nearly a year ago, was able to induce the German people, and part of foreign opinion, to believe that there was serious disorder in Sudetenland, that bloody conflicts were occurring there daily, and that the Germans there were treated as outlaws. While the situation in the German press was developing, it was pretty widely known what the path forward would be for Germany, as outlined on May 30th from Berlin. So this is, this is May 30th. This is before the summer even really gets going. Quote, 
I have pointed out that in the near future, we must expect Germany to begin, apropos of Danzig, one of those large-scale campaigns, thanks to which she was able to lay hands successfully on Vienna, Sudetenland, and Prague. The threat of war, formulated in a more or less veiled or crude fashion, will still be in all probability the weapon to which the Reich will have recourse to vanquish, if possible, outside opposition. After Poland had received official guarantees from London and Paris, there were also concerns that Warsaw would put itself into the position of aggressor in any future conflict, and this meant that there had to be some strong words with the Polish government. There was the feeling that Warsaw would stay in line with French requests on this matter, as discussed in this communication on July 6th, which was kind of a, a check-in on how that was going. Quote, From a series of conversations which he has just had in military circles, General Muse has derived the impression that, in order to avoid figuring as an aggressor, Poland would proceed to great lengths in restraining its impatience in the face of progressive militarization of Danzig. Our military attaché thinks that the Polish government will limit itself to platonic protests, unless a time comes when its essential interests are directly threatened in Danzig. It will react strongly only if its use of the harbor, the Vistula, or the railway is impeded. While Poland's reaction to German provocation was a concern during the summer months, during the last week of August, the messages became very focused on German military preparations. Here are two messages from the ambassador in Berlin, the first on August 21st. Quote, in the opinion of the military attaché, the German forces will have completed their concentration in two or three days' time. The greater part of the German forces will be concentrated on the Polish frontier. And then here's one from the next day, August 22nd. Quote, a reserve officer who has just been called up into the department of the German war office declared to a reliable intermediary that in the general staff, it is considered certain that action against Poland will be taken very shortly. It is not doubted that this action will produce decisive results in a very few days. End quote. And then on the 25th, a message arrived from the French consul in Danzig. Quote, the rate at which military preparations are being carried out here grows faster and faster. Young men are being brought in lorries from East Prussia and at once equipped and sent to their battle positions while more heavily anti-aircraft batteries are being placed along the shore, end quote. Each of these quotes point to a more and more bleak picture of upcoming events, making it very clear that Germany was once again preparing for a military confrontation. On a somewhat unrelated note, I find it funny that in these primary source compilations, you can always tell when the action is approaching an important historical event, in this case the invasion of Poland, because the editors decide to start putting a cent and received date and time for all messages, whereas for messages in calmer times, they generally just do the sent date. This, you know, this last week of August is when those times start being placed on messages. While the actions being taken by Germany to prepare for their military actions were important, the French had better information about another important topic, what the Polish government and military were preparing to do. This topic would be a part of many messages from Warsaw to Paris, although it would just be a small fraction of the total traffic. Here is the French ambassador in Warsaw on the, at midnight on August 28th. Quote, the Polish troops have received orders from Marshal Rydz Smigli not to reply to any German provocation. Their task is to drive back any incursions into Polish territory, but to may take strict care not to cross the frontier. End quote. 
Another important task of the French ambassador was to give the French government information on how to respond to the various accusations being made by Berlin that they were trying to use as justification for their invasion. Here is one message of this type from the French ambassador in Warsaw once again, this time late in the day on August 28th. Quote, the ill treatment, murders, etc., of which the Poles are accused by Chancellor Hitler are sheer calumnies. The denials issued by the national authorities cannot be doubted. It is impossible for Germans to be killed on the outskirts of Danzig without the knowledge of the French who live in these districts. Moreover, it should be pointed out that the Germans did not mention any definite facts, names, or dates. End quote. In the run-up to the war, there would be many messages like that one above, just trying to keep abreast of not just what was happening, but whether or not what the Germans were saying was actually correct and accurate to allow the French government to officially respond. And then the war started, and things got very confused. After the start of the invasion, the French ambassador was very dependent on information forwarded by Polish army headquarters, in the same way that the French political leaders were as well. The urgency of communication would also increase such that telephones began to be used for some communications. Here is a piece of a phone call from early in the morning on September 1st, after the invasion had begun. Quote, the Polish army headquarters report that German troops debouching from Danzig crossed the eastern frontier of the corridor this morning from 4 o'clock onwards. German aeroplanes have attacked the Polish town of Titsu to the south of Danzig. Aggression by German armed bandits and their flights of aircraft have also been reported at various points along the Silesian frontier. End quote. In another phone call less than an hour later, further details were relayed. Quote, According to the latest information just received by the Polish Army headquarters, the German attack is general on all frontiers in East Prussia, in South Poznania, in Silesia, and on the Slovak frontier. There has been bombing without warning at numerous points. In addition, Danzig has proclaimed its Anschluss with the Reich. End quote. While short updates were frequent, like that above, sometimes longer messages were sent that were would be kind of a summary of all communications that had happened throughout the day, and also in times where conversations had been had with the Polish government representatives, like Foreign Minister Beck. And here's an example of some of one of those communications at 9:30 p.m. on September 1st. This would be in response to a French inquiry of whether or not the Polish government would be interested in a mediation plan or meeting that had been proposed by the Italian government shortly after the invasion began. The message would say, quote, Mr. Beck has just made the following reply to Your Excellency's communication. Quote, we are in the thick of war as the result of unprovoked aggression. The question before us is not of a conference but that the common action which should be taken by the Allies to resist. I've heard nothing moreover from any quarter of the Italian plan. Mr. Beck added that the air attacks had been unrelenting since the morning. There have been considerable numbers of civilian victims in Poznan and Lvov. German aircraft have again flown over Warsaw. Mr. Beck has asked me to inform Your Excellency of these attacks in order to show the position in which Poland now finds itself. The people are indignant at the German aggression and its methods, but still remain calm and resolute. The atmosphere is no longer one of conciliation. It would take several days for the decision to be made for the French to enter the war in conjunction with the British. I found this communication interesting due to its laying out of the details of what the French ambassador in Berlin should do and how he should relay the message to the German government 
that France was about to enter the hostilities. This is from September 3rd at 10.20 a.m. Quote, Last night, following a communication made to us by the British government and following the meeting of the French Chamber of Deputies, the French government at a cabinet meeting took the following decisions, which I have been charged to transmit to you. You should present yourself today, September 3rd at noon, at the Wilhelmstrasse, and ask for the German government's reply to the communication which you handed in at 10 p.m. on September 1st. If the reply to the questions contained in that communication is in the negative, you should recall the responsibility of Germany which you evoked during your last interview, and you should notify the Minister of Foreign Affairs of the Reich or to his representative that the French government find themselves, by reason of the German reply, compelled to fulfill as of this day, September 3rd at 5 p.m., the engagements which France entered into towards Poland and which are known to the German government. As from that moment, you may ask for your passports. End quote. Now, the German government would, of course, respond in the negative, <laughs> as the French government probably expected. And from that point forward, France was at war. And the French Yellow Book, which chronicles the events before France entered the war, was over. I hope you've enjoyed this episode, and we're going to do something similar with the British Blue Book in the next member episode, which should be coming out here in a few weeks. The British one ha has kind of a, a different focus, so we're going to get a lot of different content and a lot of different things to discuss sort of um, in that episode, and I hope you're looking forward to it.